Welcome once again to Devotional. This is lesson number three for Monday, December the 3rd. Well, I'm glad that we are starting to see snow in the ground. Um, that is one of the things that my wife complains is uh, if we're going to have cold, then let us have a lot of snow so that way we can have a little bit of fun. So hopefully by this time in December, we, we're having snow already on the ground and sufficient to throw some snowballs. My wife and I do enjoy a good snowball fight, and uh, we both enjoy seeing our girls making their little snowman out there. Uh, on Monday's lesson, we are seeing another fragmented relationship, a broken relationship, one that brings some sensitive issues to the discussion as well. And I'm hesitant to you know spend too much time, but I feel like there may be some benefit in addressing them because there may be questions that come up in some of our minds in regards to what appears to be an indifference or a, a lack of desire to engage something that we consider and rightfully so a big evil in our his, U.S. history, which is slavery, right? The, the whole book of Philemon is just one chapter long. It's a letter that Paul wrote to a church member, actually a church leader who had a church in his own house a very influential and uh, capable leader. And Onesimus is his slave that ran away. And uh, he ran away not as a Christian. He simply just ran away. And um, that was, you know, intolerable. That was something not acceptable in that society. And it carried some very weighty punishments, consequences. Uh, Apparently, Paul and Onesimus cross paths. Paul ends up sharing the gospel with Onesimus, and he accepts Jesus as his Lord and Savior, and he ministers to Paul. Paul is in prison. And in the, we, were not, we don't have all these details, but probably uh, Onesimus confessed, you know, hey, I'm a runaway slave. I'm afraid of what I need to do right now. I feel God is compelling me to do the right thing, which is go back to my master, uh, Philemon. And Paul's like, I know Philemon. I led him to Christ as well. And so Paul decides to write this letter. And in this letter, he does, I think, address slavery, um, not in a general you know, social justice, but specific to this individual, which sets, which sets a precedent, precedent of principle. He calls Onesimus a son, a child. And he confronts Philemon. He almost gets ahead of any argument that Philemon might have to justify his mistreatment of Onesimus as a slave. He reminds, you know, has this caused you financial hardship? I'll pay for it, says Paul. But don't forget that you owe me your salvation. Without me, you would have not ever had the opportunity to receive eternal life. I preached at the risk of being hated and rejected and stoned. I mean, I went through shipwrecks. I went through so many hardships. Um, and you're part of the reasons why I did this. And I did all of that so that you could come to know Jesus and have eternal life. You owe that to me. But if he, you know, costs you any money, I'll pay for it. So Paul is, is a very gentle, but extremely a, a cautious, extremely, actually confrontational. Um, he's seeking to undo the, the social expectations that Philemon might feel is due to him. He may feel justified in mistreating Onesimus. And Paul says, you better not. If you called yourself a Christian, 
you better not. There's a paragraph that says uh, in the lesson, the apostle knew that fractured relationships are detrimental to spiritual growth. I'm going to read that again. Through experience, Paul knew that fractured relationships are detrimental to spiritual growth and to church unity. Philemon was a church leader in, in Colossus. If he harbored bitterness towards Onesimus, it would color his Christian witness and the witness of the church to the non-believing community. It's amazing. Paul saw a bigger picture. And he was not you know, trying to just be, throw his weight around for the sake of making sure Onesimus had a safe arrival at Philemon's home. He was uh, appealing from the heart about the welfare of Philemon himself. Philemon, if you do not reconcile yourself to Onesimus, not as a master-slave relationship, but as a brother-brother in Christ relationship, what are you doing having a church in your home? Shut it down and become a pagan. Because Christians do what I'm asking you to do in this letter. And Paul, of course, very gently and lovingly says, I'm confident you will do this. I am confident you will see the reasonable appeal to a Christian response to Onesimus. Treat him as a brother in the Lord. Therefore, it does, you know, he's, he's undoing the social expectation and the pressures that I'm sure Philemon must have felt. Everybody knew, you know, the saving face. What are you going to do? Is the law? Is your right? And Philemon is being told, forfeit those legal rights. In the love of Christ, receive him. Don't penalize him. Don't punish him. Treat him as a brother in the Lord. Um, you know, this sensitivity of slavery is, you know, our history is very painful. The, the segregation and the abuse that our African-American brothers and sisters have endured for centuries, even to this day, you know, it's very painful. But I think we need to make some distinct, distinctions as well in between slavery and servants. Um, you may be surprised if I said it to you this way. My, my parents, my, ourselves, we had slaves in Bolivia. If I say it like that, it sounds scandalous. But if I say we had a servant girl that washed our clothes and cooked our food, somehow just calling it servant changes it, right? But what's different? Well, it's different in some respects uh, because we paid her, number one, and my parents always paid her a little more. Um, because as Christians, they felt compelled. They saw the poverty that she lived in and they saw how much she, she worked very hard. She, she didn't want to lose us as her uh, employees. Um, and so my parents, my parents try to you know, always give her food, send food for her, her family. But we had a servant girl that washed our clothes, uh, made our beds, cleaned the house, and cooked for us. Um, not because we were extremely wealthy. It simply is very common in other parts of the world. Um, but you know what? That doesn't just happen in Bolivia. In my neighborhood, sometimes we see a car that says Molly Maids uh, on the outside. Big purple car with pink words on it. And these ladies come out um, with this uniform and they clean houses. Now we would call those people, you know, we've hired them. They're house cleaners. But just because we, you know, glamorize the outside, you know, it's a servant. We pay them and at the end of the day, they go back to their homes, to their families. The difference, if you want to be, you know, have some this distinction between a servant and a slave, is in our country, slavery 
they didn't get paid. And the reason they were made slaves, forced into slavery, was simply because of the skin of their skin color. In the biblical times, um, Onesimus was probably of the same skin color as Philemon. In South America, that lady that washed her clothes, she looked like us. Uh, in Argentina, that is very common as well. And the people that do this, the servile work, look just like the people that are paying them to do it. Um, so I just wanted to bring that you know, into our radar because in the biblical world, you didn't have always a distinction between the exploited slave that was abused and treated in an inhumane way. And that same word could have been used also as a servant who got paid, was able to, you know, sometimes get educated or etc. Um, there were this, there was a distinction as far as the, the manifestations, just like there are distinctions today. But usually it was the same word, doulos, used for either. So um, just because Paul is returning as slave, he's not advocating, you know, what our country one time uh, demanded um, that, you know, the, the slaves that had escaped to the north would be sent back to the masters in the south. And they may have appealed to Philemon and say, hey, it's biblical. No, it's not. Paul did not return a slave. He returned a brother in the Lord. And he made it clear in the letter that he expected Philemon to treat, treat Onesimus no longer as a slave, either slave or servant, either one, but now as a brother in the Lord, in Jesus Christ. So having said all of this, right, and just that's kind of like a parenthesis, because I thought maybe there may be a member out there or someone that listens and decides to read Philemon and gets this thing in his stomach like, whoa, did I, did I, did I just read what I read? Um, well, you need to read it, number one, in the cultural context. And you also need to be honest about where we're at today. Because I was an illegal immigrant for many years, and so was my dad. And I can tell you, illegal immigrants, the vast majority of them, are slaves. Oh, but they get paid. But <laughs> what they get paid, they it's minuscule compared to the, the physical demands that are expected of them for that minuscule payment. Enough said. Um, if you have more questions about that, I'd be happy to sit down and study further about, you know, how that the Bible correctly understood in the context and taken as a whole, I never endorsed what was done in our country and other countries as well, but here in our country in regards to slavery. Uh, there's a parallel here that I just saw preparing for this lesson that I think is beautiful. And I want to finish with this. In a piece of paper, I put Onesimus and an arrow to Philemon, right? Onesimus was returned to Philemon. And then I put right beneath it, Mark with an arrow and then Paul. Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon because Philemon deserted Philemon, right? He, he deserted his master. He left the home. In a very similar way, Mark deserted Paul. And Barnabas sent Mark back to Paul a different person and I never saw that that parallel now Paul has invested in Onesimus he has led him to Christ he has discipled and mentored him so that now in Philemon's house he will not just be a servant that is effective in doing whatever duties he was responsible of before but he can also now lead in the church itself 
Remember that? Philemon had a church in his house. And here's someone that has been mentored and discipled by the Apostle Paul. The reason I saw that is because in verse 23, as Paul, you know, sends his last greetings, he mentions Mark. Mark's with him. And I'm thinking, has something changed inside of Paul? Of course it has. He has seen the value of extending a second chance ministry. He's seen, the, wow, Barnabas invested. He saw uh, what I couldn't see in Mark. And he gave him a second opportunity and built him up to the point where Mark is now serving with me. And here's this slave that has deserted his master. He is also one, someone that needs a second chance ministry. So I thought it was beautiful how that parallel exists, showed up in the scriptures. But this ministry of the second chances, I'm really you know, thinking about that. What we talked about yesterday, I feel like we need to really think about this ministry. If you've been given a second chance, shouldn't you and I want to put efforts and be willing to be self-sacrificial about it so that others may experience a second chance in their lives? And again, I'm going to appeal to you. The members that are no longer attending your church, the members that you know, it's not just that they've moved to another church. They're just not attending church at all. How do we begin, right? I'm going to invite you to not simply say, okay, I'll, I'll think about it, but can you start praying about them by name? Are you willing to commit to pray by for these individuals by name on a daily basis? That does take a level of sacrifice. It does take a level of commitment, but I think it will not just open the door for God to act in their lives. This ministry of second chances affected Paul himself. And if you and I were to choose to embrace this second chance ministry for those members that have deserted, have backslidden, as we you know try to label them, um, if we start praying for them, it will not just have an effect on them, it will have an effect on you. It will remind you and I of that second chance experience we were given that is really not a second chance, but you know, 20, 30, 80 chances that God has given us. And it keeps us grounded because you remember that question that I asked yesterday, who is qualified? Paul felt offended that Mark should have retreated that way. But Paul forgot, you know, that he was there by grace. He didn't deserve it either. Somehow he forgot. But extending that ministry of second chances himself, it reminded him. And it changed him. And we need that. You need that. Um, members who are no longer attending, they deserve a second chance at being invited again to attend. Don't you think? How about those living literally around our churches? They may have never set foot in our church. Why is that? Don't they deserve a second chance at accepting Christ, uh, at getting to know this Lord Jesus Christ, like Onesimus did? Many of them may have grown up in a Christian home and they couldn't wait to be old enough to leave home and leave church. And maybe God in his great mercy and providence, just like he placed those two thieves, those two criminals next to his son, Jesus Christ, in their dying moments, that's providence, right? One of them accepted Jesus. What if God in his providence moved people around, moved people around so that our church is planted right across the street from individuals who deserve, who need 
a second chance? And what are you willing to do about it? I'm going to invite you through this podcast to at least do the bare minimum. Can you, will you commit to at least pray for these individuals on a regular, consistent basis? Are you willing to commit to that? The Lord may open up other doors. I don't know. But I know that right now, through this lesson and through the engaging of the Word, God has brought us to this point. What are you and I willing to do about it? Are you willing to at least pray? Right?